The economy is getting back underway, and with it, the world of pro sports. Stay ahead of the curve with the unparalleled tools of two world-class newsrooms covering developments across finance, economics, technology, and sports. Subscribe to Bloomberg.com, and if you're not already an Athletic subscriber, for a limited time, receive a complimentary subscription to The Athletic. Go to Bloomberg.com slash subscribe to sign up today. Greetings, greetings, and good day, and welcome back to Birds All Day. My name is Buffalo Drew Fair Service, and we are here talking about your Toronto Blue Jays, a team that, if I could encapsulate in one game, it would have been the game this week against the Miami Marlins, in which they came back from eight nothing and down from eight, from coming came back from being down eight nothing and still lost. That is the twenty twenty vibe to. A T. And I think it's important that we talk about the team, we talk about what's going on with the Blue Jays and what we've seen and what we haven't seen so far. And there's no there's no vibier person that I'd rather talk to than it's the man I talk to uh, every single week. Uh, old Rilafalo. Old Rilafalo. Mr. Uh, what's it called? Jim Steak and Egg or whatever Jim, it's called? Jim Steak. Out. I hear Mighty Taco is real good too. Mighty Taco is one I always shout out. But yeah, Jim Steak out. Uh, Mr. Andrew Stoughton. Stoughton, how are you? I'm well. I only I only shout out Jim Stakeout uh, because one, delicious hoagies, and two, the last time I was there, uh, some a bunch of drunk people uh, made a big order and then just and paid for it and did not claim it. And my buddy was like having a smoke out front while I go and order us a couple of hoagies, and the guy behind the counter is like, "Hey, those people just left." You want another five? I'm like, hell fucking yeah, I do. <laughs> so, kings for all time. That's exciting. <laughs> There's no, there is no greater feeling than that. I got to say, my buddy when I will tell you about the look on my face when I came outside with just armfuls <laughs> of hoagies. Um, speaking of an armful of hoagies, <laughs> uh, she is the free bonus hoagie in this Stoughton Stakeout. Jesus. Uh, she's Caitlin McGrath of The Athletic. She joins us not from Buffalo, but from Toronto to talk about your Toronto Blue Jays. She is our, our third uh, member of the booth, the silent partner oftentimes. Caitlin, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Thank you. I really like that intro. I didn't know where you were, where you were going with it. but <laughs> that, that makes two of us. Absolutely. <laughs> it landed. It landed. Sweet. Um, so yeah, so we're going to talk about, uh, the Blue Jays. We're going to talk about Buffalo. We're going to talk about Charlie Montoyo. I assume, whew, what a week. Charles, Charles Entertainment Montoyo. Charles, he, he is in charge. I would, I would say, uh, that it's fair to say that Charles is in charge of both our days and our nights. Uh, but let's start with Buffalo. What are our impressions of the what's it called Salem Field? What are, what are our what are our impressions of the first week when the baby blues at Salem Field in Buffalo? Caitlin, you wrote a story about this. What do you think? I think they did a really good job. Um, I I guess I had been so wrapped up in covering where they would actually end up that it didn't really occur to me um, 
how they would handle the actual upgrades. Like I knew like the sort of like nuts and bolts things they needed to do. Like I knew they needed to upgrade the lighting. Obviously we knew that they had to just account for spacing in a pandemic. So we knew that they would have to kind of like remodel uh, the facilities and use the concourse and all that kind of stuff. So like that to me, I knew that was going to happen, but I feel like they went above my expectations. And quite frankly, I think they went above uh, the team and players and coaches expectations. And just in terms of like decorating it and making it actually look like a home, uh, a home for the Toronto Blue Jays, they really shipped down like I think four trucks worth of, um, you know, furniture and equipment and also just kind of like team branding things. So, um, you know, they, they painted a bunch of stuff and they, they made it look like um, really what the clubhouse kind of looks like in Toronto. So that was probably uh, a surprise to me, I guess. I just didn't, I didn't even consider that they would do that, um, that they would try to make it look so homey for the Blue Jays. It makes sense. Like I kind of asked about this and, um, whether or not it has kind of a psychological impact on players just so that they're not constantly reminded by seeing all these like Bison logos that they're in Buffalo. And obviously they're aware that they're in Buffalo. Like, they know they're not at the Rogers Center, but I guess it does have somewhat of an impact, um, you know, whether it's just, I don't know, like kind of surface level, like superficial, but just like seeing the Toronto Blue Jays logo it makes it feel like they're more at home or it's their ballpark for at least this summer. So that – to me was like my big takeaway is like I really thought they went above and above and beyond when it came to just like the decor of it I guess and they they really seem like like you know hearing Atkins speak about it like they believe in that and they you know they're like they wanted it to you know them to not feel like they're a homeless team and really make it a a thing and some of it is kind of like oh you kind of cringe about like yeah it's the, the the corporate culture kind of ideas that sometimes get talked about with this team uh, but it did, I mean, it looks great and, and it looks great on TV and it's like, you know, I, I think people would have been understanding if it, they kind of half-assed it, but yeah, they really did like go and, and yeah, and, and make a statement like, okay, like, no, you're, you're big leaguers. You're here. This is like, this is where we are. And this is, you're, this is the home of the Toronto Blue Jays. And, uh, you know, I don't, I, I don't know, like you say, like it, it's hard, it, it, it's hard to parse what that would actually mean in terms of like on field results or something but uh but i don't know that that that's, that seems like a better way to, to to treat your employees than than things you hear <laughs> otherwise right like that's okay I, I i i applaud them for it it definitely looked um pretty good on tv i guess it's hard to compare to like the guy with a Samsung Galaxy S3 in center field that you usually get when you're watching a minor league yeah. baseball game. <laughs> yeah. But the blue fence, I think, is a nice touch and changing the color of like the, you know, just making it feel bluer and more blue jayer. But there's also some things that you can't uh, fix. Uh, you know, the, 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 kind the, of, the proximity to the lake. <laughs> well, or the the lack of uh, uh, the the third deck, like it, once the ball goes over the fence, it's just sort of like out there, and there's fences and like, shit and whatever like else. Albany this Niagara. way, or Niagara Falls that way, yeah. 
And also, uh, you got to love the first game in Buffalo. And I, I don't know if they were midges, but it was similar to, oh, to yeah. the midge game in Cleveland. There were bugs everywhere. Yeah, uh, just a real outdoor ballpark experience. It was. So, a bit, I think for a lot of people of the of that vintage, it was like a, an, an exhibition stadium kind of flashback. It's like, oh right, I remember why they built a park. It was windy the uh, the first game as well. It's like that's mm-hmm. why they built a roof on the Rogers Center uh, or whatever they used to call it. Who can remember? Because uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, that there were a lot of things about that experience that kind of sucked. It turns out. Well, Exhibition Stadium was like right on the lake and was obviously not built for baseball in any way. That that was the whole thing. I remember them talking about the the first base dugout. Like you couldn't even see into the right field corner and you couldn't see who was warming up and they'd have to have somebody kind of like wander out onto the field. And that was the old days too when the the dugouts weren't protected. How weird is that to think about? The dugouts just used to like shoot a line driving here at 110 miles an hour. We'll be fine. <laughs> and, or, and bats and stuff. So Because it ain't like uh, those guys are paying a lot of attention all the time. Like there's, <laughs> there's some chit-chat that goes on that's unrelated to the game or related to, you know, how do we? How how did how did you approach this at bat and stuff? Where you get into actually talking to somebody as opposed to mm-hmm. with, like watching for a hundred ten mile an hour uh, line drive coming at your face. But I guess they didn't hit it that hard then either. And and so Caitlin, so you're covering the game and you're doing it from TV. Did you find it any more or less distracting, or was it just the same experience it has been, which is weird, but also kind of the job this year yeah i mean it's weird um but i've also covered like whatever it was the first two weeks off tv just because like they Mm -hmm. were on the phone and stuff so kind of like in my own rhythm at this point with it i think that partly it feels weird for me just because of like it's just like not as memorable i guess like even when you're talking about i'm sure we'll get into it but like the game um uh, when they went down, it's like, like I'm trying to think. Um, Wednesday, yesterday, night. Wednesday. Yeah. Um, I'm just trying to remember what day today is. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Technically, it's Friday. By the time right. remember, remember I that, trying, I was okay. Well, maybe we can edit this. I don't know. I was trying. To, <laughs> oh, nobody, nobody's known what podcast. day it is for the last like six months. It's fine. That's I was true. trying to really be podcast savvy and be like on Wednesday because it's Friday today on your podcast because I always mess that up when I go on podcast. I always say today and yesterday as opposed to the days. Anyway, you, you did well. You did well. Bl- blow through. Just keep going. Okay. So <laughs> that's the fair service. Well, Wednesday, <laughs> um, just the massive comeback. I feel like when you're in the stadium, those games are the ones that you're like, really remember. Um, Cause whatever you kind of remember the mad scramble of you trying to file your story and or finishing it, or rewriting all this kind of stuff. And um to me, like, I don't, I mean, it was a wild game, but just watching on TV, like, I don't know if I'm going to really, like, have those kinds of, like, memories from it, from reporting it, because you're just, you're not, not there. So, as much as, like, I feel like I'm still doing the job, and I'm still covering the team, and I'm, you know, I'm relaying the news and stuff, uh, you just don't get the sights and the sounds and kind of, like, the experience of, of being there, which I miss out on a little bit. I mean, there was certainly some memorable games that I've covered at the Rogers Center, and, um just being there adds to the story I think um whether it's just because I'm more like energized by it because I just feel like I'm like living in the moment of it um on tv it's just it's a little bit harder um to kind of capture the emotion because you're at a distance 
Um, but whatever, I'm making it work and it's weird for everybody. And, you know, fans are feeling that too, because there's a lot of fans that are used to going to the park and they can't do that this year. So I think we're all just kind of figuring it out anyway. And, um, yeah, so not much of a difference in terms of how I've covered like the first couple of weeks, um, mm-hmm. of the season, other than just the fact that at least there's more, things are more settled now. I feel, feel like the storylines, I was kind of thinking like, what have I written this year? And I was thinking so much of my uh, content and so much of the storyline has been on where the Blue Jays will play or their games getting postponed or all this kind of like uh, off field stuff that I think some of the, the player stuff, good and bad, uh, I haven't really dug into too much. And um, so I was kind of thinking like, why haven't I done stories on this or this? I'm like, oh yeah, because I've been busy writing about the fact that they were going to play in Pittsburgh and then they're not going to play in Pittsburgh and then they're going to play in Baltimore and then they're not going to play in Baltimore and they're finally, you know what I mean? So like um, now I feel like at least they're in Buffalo and maybe I'll get, I'll start to dig into like, um, and I'm sure the players feel like this too. It's like, it's almost like, okay, now they can just focus on the baseball. Not to say that they weren't focusing on the baseball before, uh, but it's just like, they don't have to worry about the whole home thing. They don't have to worry about where they're going to play. They don't have to worry about what Buffalo is going to be like. It's like, we all know it's fine. It's going to work out, whatever. Um, And so I feel like I can almost focus on the baseball more now in terms of my coverage and um, yeah, check out the athletic (laughs) for my stories. (laughs) Don't know what they're going to be about, but I promise you they're going to be not about Buffalo and not about random ballparks anymore. Well, let us then dig in to that on the field product. The Buffalo part is what it is. Uh, You know, uh, to me, it becomes pretty apparent. uh, It's not a matter of suspension of belief. It's just like, it's, it's clearly not a big league ballpark. It doesn't take much to notice that they made a lot of changes, which is great. And I hope the players are comfortable, but when I'm on TV, it just, Oh yeah, no, this is not as it normally is. The on field product, which we will now discuss is dog shit. They are a really, really bad baseball team. Full stop. There's not really a lot else to add. Watching them this week and this season, they're not good at any one particular aspect of the game save the bullpen. They have one good starter, maybe two, two and a half. Maybe the half, it's not fair to expect Nate Pearson to be a classified as a good starter because he's made three starts. Um, but he wasn't good. Uh, the defense is just abominable. And the offense, while they managed to hit seven home runs against all odds against the Marlins, uh, they're shit. Like, they're a bad team. They are a bad team. They were a bad team last year. And they didn't really do anything other than add Hyunjin Ryu to, and, well, and Nate Pearson to make them a good team this year so far. They're not. They're not good. They're not good. You'll, you will eat those words soon. I'm confident. So I was just, cha- I was just channeling everybody. Who <laughs> you will eat those words. I'm so confident. I don't have any words of my own to dispute. <laughs> you. No, they're, yeah, they're, it's, uh, they played some ugly games and they're, yeah, they're just, uh, look, it's how have, how have the Orioles done? Cause they're not a good team either. Uh, you know, it's, it's so weird to take, too much from this uh, situation, even though it's like, you know, you feel they need to be right up to like, oh, you're in a pennant race now, buddy. It's it's mid-August and you're like, and you're a few <laughs> games back. Uh, it's just such a strange situation. And 
you know, they're not uh, fucking Cardinals. The, you know, the, it, 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 the the Blue Jays, it turns out, are not the team that is suffering the worst from whatever the fuck is going on and why they're even playing the, se- the season. The Cardinals, will they have doubleheaders on like three or five days or something like that coming up? Yeah. Uh, just absurd. Uh, but yeah, I, you know, yeah, the bullpen has looked great. They, they have guys who you look at like, not just the numbers, but you look at like their stuff and like where they're locating and how hard they're throwing and what, what, you know, pitches they have. And you're like, holy shit, Ryan Barucki, you're really good now. That's awesome. Jordan Romano. How how did the Rangers like, just like, no, we're not going to try him as a reliever. We'll just send him back to the Jays. Insane. Um, but yeah, uh, it's, you know, it's, it's a young team, you know, the, these young bucks, like 30 year old Travis Shaw and, and Brandon Drury, who's like 29 or whatever, you know, they, sometimes they just, they, they don't know, they don't know what to do out there and, uh, and God love them for it. No, I, I don't okay. think it's as bad as you say. All right. All right, fellas. Are you ready to unveil your Instagram body? You are ready to – you've been in the gym. They're back open. You're ready to go. Sun is shining. The bushes must be tamed. Manscaped is here to ensure your post-quarantine body is ready for the show. Manscaped is dedicated to helping you level up your full-body grooming game. They have forever changed the grooming game with the Perfect Package 3.0. Perfect Package 3.0 kit comes with an essential lawnmower 3.0, waterproof cordless body trimmer and a ton of other liquid formulations to round out your manscaping routine you'll also find the crop reviver a below the belt toner that's designed to give you a pep in your step and smell great so if you subscribe to the perfect package and you'll get a new blade refill for your lawnmower trimmer delivered to your door every three months and for a limited time subscribers get two free gifts the shed travel bag which is 39 dollars value add and the patented high-performance reduced chafing Manscaped boxer briefs. So get 20% off and free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. And for a limited time, subscribers get not one but two free gifts, the Shed Travel Bag and the patented high-performance anti-chafing Manscaped boxer briefs. So go to manscaped.com today and use code THEATHLETIC20. 20. So let's talk about the goods. We could talk about Jordan Romano. Jordan Romano looks unbelievable in that he has given up a single hit all season long. He's throwing strikes with all of his pitches. I was watching the other night and he came in and Lewis Brinson, who uh, came to the Mariners or came to the Marlins, sorry, in um, the Yelich trade. In the Yelich trade. <laughs> uh, after going to, yeah. Yeah, anyway, like I think he was with Texas and then he went to Milwaukee and then over in the Yelich trade. He is so bad, that poor guy. He really can't hit at all right now. He looks so terrible at the plate. So Romano and Brinson facing off and Romano throws first pitch slider for a strike. And I was like, well, this at bat is over. He should just go and walk and sit down because he has no hope. For the rest of this at bat. And Romano, to his credit, of course, threw great pitches because that's what he's done. He throws that slider for a strike that he can throw it in the dirt. It's got really sharp buck was going on on it, but the downward break on it as opposed to being more of like a 
sweeping slider, spotting 96, 97, when, it, when and where he needs to. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. What, like a, like a gift from heaven, is this, Jordan, this mini Jordan Romano breakup, pitching really well and looking great in the process. Anthony Bass has picked well. Obviously, he got a little unlucky the other night with Francisco Cervelli taking him deep. But there is, you know, Sean Yamaguchi sort of figuring things out as we uh, assumed he would. Uh, Rafael Dolis kind of was a bit of a hard, had a bit of hard luck the other night um, in that extra innings game where he just, um, you know, bad defense and then a little blooper here and then a little blooper there. And the next thing you know, he's given up a bunch of runs. A shame. Bit, bit, of a, bit, of, bit of a miscue on that pickoff throw, but yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, but that's 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 a stupid thing to do, but is all still at the same time independent of his pitching and pitching yes. ability. Yeah. So, yeah, lots of positives from the, from the bullpen. As you mentioned, Ryan Barucki just absolutely smoking people, blowing them away. But oh, he'll, time, he'll never be a starter again, I, I feel. Which is a shame because, I, like, this is something we're celebrating as a victory. It's like the guy who was the the, the nominal number two starter going into 2019 <laughs> is now like a one-inning relief guy. And it's like, yeah, sweet. But – you know, he came back from so far. But well, when you have Tanner Roark, you know, what are you going to do? <laughs> I don't know. Caitlin, what are some other positives that we that you can draw from this this debacle of the season so far? Um, you know, uh, continuing on the bullpen theme, just mentioned two other guys, Anthony Kay and Thomas Hatch, mm-hmm. uh, also look pretty good. Uh, they are uh, – Kay's – probably a starter, like a back-end starter. Hatch, I think, could go either way. Um, I don't know if he'll definitely be a starter or he could kind of start next year and then see where it goes. He could probably also, like, be in the bullpen. But, like, he looks like a really good return for, I think it was David Phelps, right? Yeah. And, like, uh, yeah. I, I don't think David David Phelps was very good for the Cubs when he went. I think he was okay. But, um, you know, c- certainly – He like, was David Phelps-esque. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and so ter- it's almost like the Wagusback trade, too, which, like – you know, you only gave up two months of loop and you got Wegus back and Wegus back is what he is, right? He's maybe going to give you some innings and he kind of fools some guys because of his wonky style and his, you know, how tall he is or whatever. Um, but uh, it, when you look at the actual trade, you're like, okay, it's pretty decent to get that out of two, two months of a yeah. reliever that, you know, you were just going to let walk anyway. Um, so those are two names um, that also just – just generally add to the the success of the bullpen this year, which I do think has probably been uh, the the top bright spot. I think the pitching rotation has been pretty good as well. I don't necessarily think it's like exceeded expectations. I think it's done what it's expected to do. Like obviously Tanner work was good and then he was really bad. And then Matt Shoemakers had a pretty one bad start in there. Uh, been a mixed bag, but I guess that's, to be expected and also the bar was so low last year that (laughs) like obviously they were going to be better the fact that they're only just using like five guys or I I guess maybe kind of six now if Trent comes back in the mix but just you know not like 21 um different guys that were starting so that's another you know improvement we'll say over last year I guess the other guy you got to mention right now, which I'm sure we'll talk about, is Bo Bichette. Uh, he started off a little bit slow, um, which he kind of reasoned and said that it was just simply because they had such a short summer training camp that he kind of felt at the start of the season he was still sort of like working through getting his rhythm and like, you know, finding his timing at the plate, as probably a lot of hitters will say um, was their experience because we've kind of seen hitters 
far behind pitchers, um, which is normal, but kind of more pronounced, I guess, just because of the shorter season that we're seeing and just all the wackiness that's been happening. But anyway, Bo Bichette, now he's kind of really in rhythm, uh, obviously great performance on Wednesday. And um, I wrote a piece this week, which uh, I don't know if people read it, but it was um, it was the um, the series that ML, the MLB Vertical has been doing where you kind of compare who would you rather have on your team. And I did Bo Bichette versus Francisco Lindor. And so, I mean, yes, you would rather Francisco Lindor. But what I wrote for, like, the defense of Bo Bichette was that he's this guy that, you know, he was a pretty well-regarded prospect, but certainly not the top prospect. Obviously, Vlad Guerrero Jr. was in the organization, so he got all the attention. And anyway, but... Yeah, Bo that was, that was just, weird, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Bo Bichette just kind of quietly uh, went about his business, and he he wasn't expected to be a shortstop, but so far he's obviously playing as a major league shortstop. And he's just kind of a guy that seems to be you know, you put a ceiling on him and he kind of shatters it anyway. So I don't know. I mean, I think that it was, I I saw a lot of people make kind of predictions. I did this as well. People make predictions ahead of the year and an easy one was kind of say like, okay, Bobochette will hit 300 or above 300 or whatever, but certainly seems like he's going to be on that trend. And he's always a guy that's hit for pretty good average anyway. So when you take it like a 60 game season, it's probably high odds that he could probably hit 300 or better. So you know, I would expect him to kind of just keep rolling. It seems like he's also a player that once he gets hot, he can kind of stay hot for a while. I can't remember, but you you must you must have talked to him about tennis, right? Like he's a he's a tennis mm-hmm. guy. Yeah, uh, I feel you. I feel you have feelings about tennis as well. Which uh, yeah, I mean, which because uh, it's a wonderful sport. Yeah, he he played tennis. Um, actually, like Dante, his dad wanted Bo to be like a tennis star. Um, so he got him into the sport quite young and, um, the, the way that Bo described it to me, I think this was a while ago, we talked about it, but I think it was more so like, he didn't, he didn't really get excited by practicing tennis the way that he got excited about the idea of like practicing baseball. So like going to the cage or whatever, like working on baseball activities, um, just generally excited him more than, than working um, out at tennis. So he still plays like tennis to him, I think is more like his recreational activity. And he actually plays with his dad, his dad and him play together in the off season. Um, but he's a big Rafael Nadal guy. That's his guy. If anyone wants to know he's team at all. So not mm. team fed. Mm. That means he's like a, a deviant though, right? If he's not team fed, like who is team, who is actually team Rafa? I think that like, to me, just, you know, generally I'm somewhat in the know of tennis fans. And I think uh, Nadal fans can skew a bit younger. So I can understand why, like, maybe um, Bo would have picked Nadal just because uh, at the time he was probably a, a more younger kid. And, and, and like, these, these are children. Also, yeah. Well, that's, it's, yeah, like, it's, Nadal I'm was like, kind of like the younger guy coming up on the scene <laughs> and challenging Federer. But also, I'm like, like he doesn't remember Jimmy Connors at the 91 U.S. Open like I do. I was, <laughs> these these fools, they don't know. They're missing out on Jim Courier just dashing to the net. Oh, man. I guess he's like a big coach now, though, Jim Courier. Uh, he's a commentator. Commentator. Oh, there you go. Yeah. So, I'm I'm a, same, same first two letters, so that's close. Yeah. <laughs> 
All right. So yeah, Bo Bichette is obviously a positive. He's been swinging the hell out of the bat. Five hits um, in that crazy game against the Marlins. A lot to like. Uh, not exactly, what's the word? Uh, walking? Because who, who needs to walk? Who walks? Not when you hit everything, you don't need to walk. Just swing or, I mean, hit. or when you wear the Blue Jays uniform, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> True enough. All right, but that allowed, so we've got a few positives. Uh, lots of like, obviously, Teoscar Hernandez is 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 a uh, maybe a cooling off is probably an accurate description of what's been going on with him. Uh, but he's so he has resumed being Teoscar Hernandez, someone who again walks even less than Bobichet somehow. But uh, it's still very much fun to watch. But it could take it could take him but one day to resume being the good Teoscar, right? Like he's well, it would, but see, even the bad Teoscar is still kind of good. He's good at doing what he's good at doing, which is hitting the ball over the fence and running around a little bit, and having <laughs> getting, a good time. Through, in the getting process. thrown out, being aggressive, as we all know, is your passion. Listen, there, okay, I. <laughs> this is a thing. Obviously, if you if you if you have if you're new to the show, thanks so much for listening to Birds All Day. We really appreciate it. We talk here about your Toronto Blue Jays. And we've been doing so for many many years. If you want to subscribe, I think you should do that. You can subscribe to the show whether you are an athletic subscriber or not. You can do it at Spotify. You can do it on Apple Podcasts. You can do it on Overcast. You can do it on Stitcher. All those things. Go subscribe to the show. We love it. If you give us a rating uh, and a like and a thumbs up. All the better for us and for you for being part of something tremendous. Uh, you can also subscribe to The Athletic. I think you should do that. That way you can read everything that Caitlin writes, everything that Stoughton writes. You can read about the Raptors. You can read uh, very uh, uh, post-mortem-y things about the Leafs if you were so uh, involved. You can read about the Montreal Canadiens who are still playing hockey games. Can you believe it? So subscribe to those things. Support the work that we do. We really appreciate it. If you have been listening to the show for a long time or you follow me on Twitter, at Drew Groff, you know I go, I love aggressive base running. I love it to a fault. I love it when it's dumb. But there's a line. And the line <laughs> is when Travis Shaw decides he needs to try to tag up from first to go to second, believing that a throw is not going to get cut off, when in fact the throw is cut off. And then Travis Shaw, who is not a fleet, uh, not fleet of foot, Get thrown. To me, that was the one where I was like, nope, I can't even abide that. Probably because it's Travis Shaw. Maybe, maybe not. But that was another example of the Blue Jays doing some very dumb things, which we have. I don't know if we want to get to our bash Charlie Montoyo segment of the show quite yet, but there a lot of that blame seems to be falling on his feet for the various ways the Blue Jays make boneheaded errors and really absent-minded plays in the field, whatever it might be. But before we get to that, let's talk about some of the stuff that's not so great. Let's talk about maybe Nate Pearson's start this week. When Last week's show, we talked about the previous Nate Pearson start where it was like, oh, yeah, you can see it. You can see some great stuff. Um, uh, this week's start uh, was not good. Uh, there was a little stretch there. I, I believe he touched 100 for the first time. He was 99. He was 100. Through had looked great, and then it just he completely. I don't know. He lost his release point. Just couldn't throw strikes to save his life. Had no clue where it was going. He walked Francisco Cervelli, for God's sake, on I believe four straight pitches, including throwing him a three zero slider. What on earth is going on? He threw four sliders in a row to yeah. Francisco Cervelli, including one with the count three and zero. This is a man who was th- can throw easily 96, 97, touched 100 earlier in the game. Francisco Cervelli, who is a wily veteran who, who, who managed to sneak a ball over the, home, over the fence against Anthony Bass earlier in the week, <laughs> but maybe still challenge him 3-0. You are still Nate Pearson. He's, he a wily, he's a wily veteran. You paint a 
<laughs> you paint a tunnel on the fence. He'll try to run through it and just bounce right off. He's uh, <laughs> he's been through he's been through a lot. Uh, a lot he of people said uh, felt that Danny Jansen was perhaps uh, uh, similarly to blame for calling four straight sliders to Francisco Cervelli. Uh, I get that. Uh, I also can't help but wonder if the pitchers are called in the dugout. And that could, because later in the game, maybe they've got something on Cervelli because they, later in the game with Romano, they, it was 3-2 and they threw a slider. And I'm like, man, it's literally Francisco Cervelli. Like, just go nuts. But they didn't. <laughs> now, Caitlin, you, you uh, by uh, pointing out that it was, in fact, four sliders in that at that, was this something that was maybe a topic of conversation post-game? Did Nate Pearson Zoom with the media? Was this something that came up? Or what do you think when you were watching him struggle mightily and throw – Try to flip sliders in there to get cheap strikes. Um, in in terms of like his pitch uh, selection and sequencing, he did touch on it a little bit. What he said was essentially that his uh, general approach to games is that he goes fastball heavy to start. Like so, the first inning he'll work a lot of fastballs. I guess try to establish you know the fastball, the strike zone, and then he'll kind of start to work in his secondary pitches as the games go along, but. At, at in uh, Wednesday's game, it was essentially just nothing was working for him. So it was like almost like yes, he went away from the fastball because he couldn't command it, but also he was just like trying anything and he was just throwing anything, and he really just lost it. And it kind of unraveled. And um, you know, for me, like watching it, it almost felt like uh, it, he just looked really young. Um, you know, like out there, like it just looked like he really didn't know what to do. And and you can maybe sort of relate to that just in everyday life in the sense of like when you're new at a job or like when you're just doing something new or like high pressure situation and you don't have that experience to fall back on and you just kind of like start to unravel and you just like lose it. And to me, like it seemed like that. Um, Obviously there was some mechanical things and he just really couldn't um, throw strikes. And there was a few that were just like so wild. Like I think he threw a change up. It was just like, he clearly didn't release it at all uh, properly. And it was just like straight to the backstop or whatever. So there was like some really wild pitches in there. Um, and that was when you kind of got sort of concerned. You almost want to take him out at that point because it's like this could get, this could be bad for his psyche. You know what I mean? Like he's Nate Pearson. He's a top prospect. You kind of want to protect him. You don't want him to like, you know, look too terrible out there and, and for things to really like snowball. Um, especially <laughs> yeah, that does, that does seem to be a bad thing for extremely hyped prospects to have happened to them. Especially when you don't have anywhere for them. Not that I think that if this was happening in a normal season, the Blue Jays would, like, send him down after one bad start. Like, obviously, he's going to have a, a longer rope or a longer leash than that. But um, but just, like, in general, when there's, like, nowhere for him to develop this year, like, he's got to do at the major league level. Like, they're not – unless something really bad happens and he just looks a total mess, they're not going to send him to the alternate site to, like, you know, no offense to, like, the Blue Jays that are there, but, like, they're just – the development there wouldn't be great for him um um so yeah like I guess like for me like when you just look at it I was saying this like on the radio I think I did radio today I can't remember it all blends but it's like he had one he had three starts right one was good like what his first start was good in Washington the next start was so so like he wasn't great but he kind of battled through it and got through it and his stuff was good enough that he can kind of make it work and then the latest start was bad so if you're talking about a young rookie first three experiences and it's kind of a mixed bag like that to me is like 
kind of to be expected. Obviously better off if he's just blowing by guys and he's like, you know, a Cy Young candidate already or something. But the fact that it's not been perfect, to me it's like, well, it's not really um, an emergency just yet. I feel like it's just been a mixed bag. Yeah, Stoughton, I, 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 there was, I agree with that. But also there was that start in Boston too in the little tune-up that right. didn't go well. And that kind of – it reminded me uh, this week against Miami a little bit of that. I mean, that obviously – was better because he figured it out. Like, you know what I mean? Like the first yeah. – Well, he figured that, it out, but he also got – only had to get two outs in the first inning. Right, right, right. So, but like yeah. me, the bo- like the Miami one was worse because it seemed like he almost unraveled further as opposed to in Boston it almost looked like he didn't have the command but he kind of was able to work through it and figure some stuff out and, and get by Miami it looked like it just became overwhelming for him yeah and I, I I remember like you as you were saying like when he when it started to become clear like you're you know we have the we are we're blessed with Dan Schulman calling games with Buck it's a it's a great it's a great duo enjoy it but I just remember sort of half paying attention uh and just hearing Dan and Buck being like well, that's earliest we've seen him throw a change up here. And it's like, oh, wait, oh, shit. He's clearly just trying to find something he can get over. That mm-hmm. uh, was just a it was a it was a sign that, oh, yeah, no, this is not going real well. Um, yeah. And honestly, though, you know, you say that that they probably wouldn't send him down. I think that's true. I don't I, I know it's true right now, obviously. Uh, but it also in a like in a normal season. There would be Anthony Kay and Ryan Barucki and Thomas Hedge pitching in Buffalo, most likely. Mm-hmm. So it could actually be like a, a legitimate thing. Uh, I think that, he would have to. That be- doesn't mean anyone was wrong for skewering the Jays for <laughs> for manipulating their service time. No, no, that's the thing too. Like, <laughs> I think that both things can be right yeah. or wrong, however we want to put it. You know what I mean? Like the way that baseball teams can get away with the service minute manipulation is wrong but it's also if a team sincerely wants to develop a guy for the best of his development that also can be a thing um but yeah i think he'd have to be a lot worse for a lot longer before they'd consider sending him down unless there was like a that mental emotional aspect where he was like not ready to go sort of thing and they and maybe the thing where you sometimes see a guy make a start like three days before the all-star game and then they send him down uh maybe to like clear his head or manipulate his service time one of those things (laughs) yeah but uh but i think he'd have to be worse for longer but at the same time i don't think that you can have too many of those kind of starts uh before maybe it's like we're gonna skip nate this time uh, because right. you know you don't see you don't want to see too many more of those like thirty five pitch innings and and uh, just but you also can't have too many of those starts when you could throw a hundred and like throw your slider for strikes usually like you know he's got he's got a lot of, he's got a lot of gifts. The thing that he's also said is that like he's had good side sessions between his starts both times like I think between the first start and the second. Um, and then the second and third. And so 
you know, sometimes that happens. Like a lot of starters will say like they felt great in the bullpen and then their start goes terribly or like they had a great side and then their start goes terribly. So it's not, it's not like having a good side or having a good bullpen session, like uh, before the start necessarily means you're going to be great. Like these things can kind of, and obviously like when you're throwing in between a start, the pressure's not on and you're not actually like facing major league hitters. So um, that to me is um, just, I guess I'm curious, like maybe it's more about the, 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 the actual playing, the pressure of being in the majors, if his, if his sides are going well and there's no, you know, he's throwing strikes and he's, you know, filling the strike zone in his sides, like maybe just, there's just more like the experience that he needs and the, the mental aspect of pitching and, and just get, getting comfortable. Um, maybe there's more to it than that um, as opposed to just like the mechanical stuff, um, which, you know, I, I, I can't speak to that as well, but mm-hmm. um, just the idea that, the fact that he's working between his starts and he doesn't seem to be concerned about mechanics then like there's maybe more to it. Um, just on the mental side. And he I, just, he, he's really, Oh, sorry, Drew, but he just, he seems really self-aware as a, uh, you know, as an athlete, like really in tune with his mechanics and what, you know, whenever, like whenever things go wrong, he owns up to it in a way that, you know, it's not, it, Correct me if I'm wrong, but like it's just not sort of the same platitudes you, you feel, especially from like a 23 year old or whatever. Like he seems like he's really, he really understands what he has and mm-hmm. where he wants it to go and how he can probably get there. And you know, is we're just we're just following along on this process, and 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 that's really impressive. And I think I think that's going to help him probably stay up longer. Uh, but yeah, it, you know, you 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 see that and you. It, you know, anytime a kid gets demoted, I mean, I'm, this is hypothetically, obviously I don't think they're not that they're anywhere near that stage yet, especially in this season, even if it was a normal season, but like, you know, sometimes it happens sooner than fans think. And then it turns out that it's like, yeah, it's that stuff you were saying, like, like, you know, you're not ready to go or whatever. You know, it's, I, uh, I don't, I don't um, think that's him though. I think that the good thing, if you're watching this, I mean, me personally, I don't know, that I'm like disappointed or, 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 you know, I just would, it's fun to watch him. It's not, it's not Vlad, obviously. No, it's not Vlad. (laughs) That's, that's the, that's the point I was eventually going to make, but it's, it's not that I'm not disappointed. I wish that I, you could see him succeed, but it's not as though he's out there getting his brains beat in. You know what I mean? It's not like even that start in Boston where it was like barrel, barrel, barrel for like four batters in a row. Um, and then he figured it out. This was just him struggling to rein in either his mechanics or his release or whatever. There's like, uh, it feels more like a, uh, more, uh, quickly and more, um, uh, something with like a, a bit of a diagnostic assessment that can be repaired or can be adjusted. And then off he goes. And maybe if it is that meant, if it is the mental side too, if he's really getting in his own head and he's well worried and he's, taking in too much information, whatever it might be. I'm fine with that. Cause again, and also, and also it's like, you know, this is a guy who didn't throw this hard until a couple months before he was drafted. Right. Like he's, it's new to him. This, you know, what he has, he's trying to understand his instrument. His instrument is temperamental (laughs) and it takes, you know, years of, uh, of, of training and tutelage before the instrument is his to deploy. Uh, before we move on to the next part of the show, I just want to hear from one of our sponsors, Indochino. 
Now let's talk about Vlad. Because uh, you got there, and he did hit a home run mm-hmm. uh, in that crazy game. He hit a curveball, I believe, that was kind of down in the zone, and he kind of rode it out to right center field. Pretty good. Probably I saw somebody on Twitter was saying like that was easily his, his best swing of the season, um, which I don't know. I, I am disappointed in the way that Vlad has played because he's not played well. Uh, he just cannot drive the ball with a lot of authority. He's doing a bit more here and there. But still, I mean, his numbers are, are pretty good in August. But like the picture doesn't match the numbers to me. You know, when he's hitting these like little squibbers through the past the second baseman and whatever. It's not what I signed up for. I would love to see him driving the ball across the field. I want to see like the guy that was getting 70 hit, 80 power grades from everybody and their sister, people who have skin in the game, being like, this is as good as it gets. It has not been that. The guy who hit took Jack Flaherty deep at Olympic Stadium. I've watched that a couple times. I think I maybe mentioned it on a previous episode, but it's like, do not watch that. I think I tweeted it too. Also, I apologize because do not watch that. Because it's like uh, it's like a different guy. That's what that that's what uh, uh, Arturo Marcano, who uh, is an ESPN Deportes guy, is based in Toronto. I've done pitch talks. So I know him through that way. I, mm-hmm. I, I assume you guys do too. Uh, and I was like, I, I was like, if I were Vlad, I would simply swing like this and like tweet it. And he's just like, is that the same player? I'm like, ooh, yeah. Did you guys see the? Um, it was like Chris Black, Sportsnet producer. That he did the side by sides, and I think it was that swing that he used the one uh, from 2018 in Montreal. And then he, I th- I'm not sure what this, the one that he used this year, like what game it was or whatever it was, but he did like side by sides um, and uh, compared the swing and um, like kind of, I think Joe Siddle maybe also commented on it on Twitter, a bit of a thread or something about the differences. Um, and they were just like pinpointing different things. I can't exactly remember what it was, but it was certain like, you know, the load leg was different and this was different and all this kind of stuff. Um, and there was enough, enough that they could kind of point out um, where you definitely can see that the swing is different. Um, and, uh, you know, one thing that um, is so different to see um, – just like the almost, uh, this is me just kind of viewing, I guess, fans on Twitter and stuff. It's like this almost expected disappointment. I think for so long, um, well, maybe not so for so long, but certainly for the first month or two that Vlad was up last year in um, uh, after his debut or whatever. Do like, you mean the day and, the day that they had public batting practice and put it on TV? <laughs> like, yeah, and like... <laughs> But I just mean, like, for those first two months or whatever, um, every time he came up to bat, it was excitement. People would, like, tune into his at-bats. And now it just seems like there's almost this expected disappointment. Um, and maybe that's just because of the hype that he had and he hasn't met it and, you know, fans are disappointed and um, whatever it is. But that, to me, is so so stark, the difference between – the, the excitement that used to surround Vlad um, and now just like the sheer, just like disappointment. And like, I mean, when I write articles that are not really even about Vlad, I guess like tangentially, like he was in the game. So it's kind of about him. <laughs> like certainly yeah. not really. He's, I mean, I guess one, if he makes a bunch of defensive errors, he's kind of in the, in the um, article a bit. Oh, does but, he, does he ever do that? 
<laughs> but I just mean like the, it's like 50% of the comments are just about Vlad. Like there's so much, so much of um, this rebuild is centered around him. And I'm not, I'm not sure that he's um, necessarily aware of the sort of like internet discourse around him. I, I don't know how much he really reads or what. God, I mean, fuck. Just, I hope not. Jesus. No, yeah, no one needs to know that. Like, certainly he's aware that he's a big part of this team and the, this team going forward. Like he knows he's a big part of their positional core, obviously. Um, but yeah, like, I don't know. Like it, it's, it's tough. It's like, um, it, it, for me, it's like, I don't know what to say sometimes. Like, it's like, there's just so much, so many fans are upset and I don't know. I don't know what to say to them because I, I don't have necessarily answers. Um, we all are just seeing what's happening with Vlad. We know it's not necessarily what uh, we expected of him. Um, I'll, I just have to say like, you know, he's still young. Maybe he'll figure it out. I don't know. I mean, I think that you guys uh, maybe drew or you've definitely written about the fact that it's, it, or, and Stone, you've written about it too. It's just like, you can't write him off now. Like he's way too young. Right? No. He's, yeah he's fine. Like he's been fine. I mean, if you look at like the average major league or his numbers last year, they were in line with that. And he was like 20 years old. So that's good. It um, would be, it would be nice if like Juan Soto and Fernando Tatis Jr. would, if they could suck a bit more, it would make yeah. this a lot easier. Right? Exactly. That yeah. was the next sentence I was going to say. I was going to say, well, then you look at like this, the Padres and what they're doing. And then you kind of think, well, why can't we have that? I think that's what the Blue Jays fans were really hoping for this year. I can't necessarily say whether I'm exactly surprised that the Blue Jays have kind of like just come out of the gate being sort of you know, whatever their mediocre record is six and nine or something um, like that to me is like, they were just kind of the same as they were last year. And, um, but I think there was a lot of hope around this team that they were going to really take a huge step forward right out of the gate. It hasn't happened. And I think a lot of that is centered around Vlad, whether people know it consciously or not. I, I think that, and Lord help me for saying this, but like, uh, it may be more difficult to, you know, get your rhythm as a big leaguer. If you, every time you show up to camp, you're a slightly different shape or size, which is like, you know, the weird thing that nobody, you know, well, a lot of, a lot of people on Twitter want to talk about, but like nobody polite wants to talk about. And I don't really want to talk about either, but that, but that's a, that's a, you know, that's an aspect of watching that swing in Montreal. That is quite noticeable from watching these other swings. That that thread, that Chris Black thread that I will probably end up now writing about, that I was as Caitlin was speaking, I looked it up and was looking at it, and it really is striking the like the difference between the two swings, and if it's if it's uh, the, the difference in his lower body, uh, the connectedness uh, of the, of the hands and upper body in the swing, there's a chance that this struggle will end up being better for him in that he will realize he can't just get by on being really good and being able to handle pitching at every level until he got to the big leagues um, because now there's still work to be done because the big leagues are ridiculous right now. The pitching is ridiculous and you see a different pitcher every time you come up to the plate seemingly. But if you read anything last October, 
there was quite a lot of optimism that that was what what was going to happen. And it's obviously, you know, it's two weeks of a season or whatever the hell it's been. But but it, it just isn't it isn't what it was supposed to be. And it wasn't what it's not a matter of even you wanted being, a transformer on Christmas morning and you got a go bot. I got I that, wanted that, a trans- that's a reference for the people who remember Jimmy Connors at the 1991. I wanted episode. a transformer <laughs> on Christmas morning because I had a box under my tree that said transformer and all the noises that it made were tra- it had Optimus Prime's voice. Jim, Jim Callis told me it was a transformer. There was a little arm that came <laughs> bursting out of the side of the box that looked exactly like a transformer. This it, it, it to me the thing the difference between someone like like Vlad Guerrero Jr. and maybe other top prospects, other guys who get to the big leagues, uh, uh, even even like you know compared to Travis Snyder for example, where it's like oh, like Snyder, Guerrero hit everywhere. He hit everything and he never stopped doing it. There were no red flags other than like, he's a maybe not a third baseman for long. And, but it was like, well, but he'll hit and he'll be fine. Like this was not something that anybody saw. And maybe I'm overreacting. That's a hundred percent possible, but I will always, and I, if you've listened to the show more than once, you've heard me say like, like hitters hit. And he's not hitting. And he in has the, in, in the nine games that he played at Buffalo that they kept him down last year. 367, 441, 700. Hitters hit. <laughs> like what? They do. Hitters hit. Uh, and he's not hitting. And, and, and the numbers are okay, but they don't match up with what you see. And, but they do match up with what you see when you look at his like launch angle and stuff because it's his launch angle season is like eight. And he's not but alone. He is, but but he is he, he does hit the ball very hard into the ground. So that's that's encouraging. If he could just you know raise the launch angle, right? It's not like he's. But but if when when from what from where I stand stands not sit. It's more than just a just hit under the ball. Like it's obviously there's something that is fundamentally off with his swing at the at the time, such that he cannot get to even mediocre fastballs on the inside half in my mind mm-hmm. in my view mm-hmm. in my experience and 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 the texts I, with like people like Jonah who's been on this show before like like how did he miss it how did he miss that there in that and there was an at bat against Brad, so, uh, Brad so Brett Wallace shit here <laughs> yeah it's just like it was it was a change up that didn't do anything it was 90 miles an hour and it was basically right down the middle of the plate and he did nothing with it and then it's like 94 that's a little bit on the inside of the half inside half the plate he does nothing with it it's just it's maddening because for off more well however many games he's played how many many played appearances a where because of who because of what he was and is we uh, i we are hanging on every Plate appearance. There are Blue Jays fans who are mad, like like Caitlin said, fifty percent of the comments are about Vlad because guys who have the ability to turn the franchise fortune around don't come around very often. One has come around, and it hasn't been that yet. You know, it's 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 if if Bo Bichette wasn't hitting right now, like it would like what are they going to do if 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 for whatever reason this doesn't work out? Like this was this is a significant peg that was holding up. The Blue Jays tent. And if it is short, that tent is going to fall right the fuck down. 
He has to hit. Personally. He has to hit. And he hasn't. And something that he has to change if it's a physical thing, if it's a mechanical thing, whatever. He has to hit and he has to start hitting today because I don't buy the age thing. As I, you've heard me say, I don't buy the age thing. I don't buy, I don't, basically there's no excuse in my mind for why he can't hit because that's what he is. That's what he's done. There's no reason for him not to be able to do it. And he's not. And it fucking sucks. If you're good enough to destroy AAA at 19, yeah. I, yeah, but also I just I blame Al- Alex Anthopoulos, you know. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> when he when he gets traded over there for, uh, you know, Mike Soroka's year before free agency, sounds good. <sighs> I have um, I have a hypothetical. All right. I've been asked this. Uh, I was asked this today when I did a live Q and A, and I feel like I've maybe seen it on Twitter and actually um, I know Stoughton tweeted about this or whatever. Cause Keith law wrote about it today. But the question is if we were in a normal season um, and in this was like, let's just say we're at the start of the season or whatever it's been, or like maybe longer anyway, normal season, there's AAA available and Vlad was struggling like this. Would the blue Jays send him down because you have to weigh the, whatever maybe the effects of it would have on this guy who was, as you just said, uh, was supposed to be the cornerstone of the franchise. Uh, but if you have the major or sorry, the minor leagues at your disposal, do you send him down there to figure it out? Guys like Mike Trout was once sent down. Um, what do your, what are your guys take? No, he's not that bad, but the only reason to send him down is to like, Send a message. I guess if well, you think you can, he I needs mean, to have a message, I, I, I would. Uh, I, f- I feel well. I, Ross Atkins talked about this this week. You know, he he spoke about confidence and and you know approach and trying to do too much, and that was sort of more general. But then he did talk. He talked about Vlad in particular, and I don't know. I, there are, there have certainly been guys who are, have struggled at that at the big league level, gone down a little bit. Uh, in a different way, obviously, because he's a pitcher. Like Marcus Stroman really struggled when he came up first as a reliever. Mike Trout is a great example as well, but Stroman went down. Uh, it was like, oh, right, I could dominate these guys. Uh, it, 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 it helped. It helped It helped him realize the talent that was always there. It, you know, it's not like – like I, I don't know. It, 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 Mike I Trout not was be, 19 I, years old when he came up to the big leagues the, for the yeah, first time. Yeah, wow. I mean, age doesn't matter. I've heard I've heard a, a wise podcast co-host of mine once said, age, it doesn't really matter how old anyone is. But uh, about baseball, obviously. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> but but no, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't think we would advocate it right now. But were it to continue, I don't know if there's a problem with him going and getting getting his confidence back, like bashing in the heads of some AAA pitchers for a couple weeks. I think a more appropriate um, point of reference for this is maybe not Mike Trout or, or Mark Storm. Those are valid. But I think more about Edwin Encarnacion, who in 2010, the Blue Jays sent down. He had been scuffling and struggling and was like kind of coming out of his swing or whatever. And, and this was obviously much later into his career. But the Blue Jays sent him down. He went to Vegas. And now, again, this was a much more established guy. And he went down, he played seven games in AAA, and he hit 438, 486, <laughs> 781 in, in 35 at-bats, or 35 plate appearances in Vegas. And then came up and then was pretty good for the rest of that season. And then, of course, 
uh, went on to be uh, very good, very, very, well, very, very good. to finish with slaughter. two with two hands, and then uh, the rest is history. Yeah, yeah. but like that to uh, me, might might get has a chance at five hundred. Bless him. He that that take a lot of work. He's he's a he's a senior now. He's an old man, thirty seven yeah, years old. Jeez. But he's real close to it. I think it was four fifteen. I'm on his page right now. So he's got right, 80, well, 85, 85 home runs, which is in twenty twenty is nothing. You're right, but maybe that. Yeah, so no, so that that is the only scenario I can imagine where you would send Vlad down. Um, is something that is more of a penal thing, something more of like a look. You got to get right, go down, beat the living piss out of these AAA scrubs that are not good enough to get you out. Figure out how you do that and then come up here and then realize the major league scrubs are not good enough to get you out either. Mm-hmm. Because I, that's, that's where we are with, with Vlad. There's no reason that any of these people should, should be able to get him out. No one should be able to get him out because I mean, they he's faced Max Scherzer once, but yeah, but ev- pretty much everybody else. <laughs> Fair yeah. enough. Fair enough. But, but I just, that, it seems early for that is my, is my answer to Caitlin's question. It seems early to start trying to play like mind fuck games with him when really it's just kind of be like, Let's just look at this again from a mechanical perspective. What's different? Because if Chris Chris Black from Sportsnet is is breaking down film, you know, God knows that uh, whoever that batting coach is is doing the same thing. They have about four. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> they do. They have like three at least. Yeah, and hey, if they're talking and he's not listening, then maybe you you, you look you look to that um, to that alternative. Get uh, oh you're saying get, he's Dante as the the Vlad whisperer. He's, no, I think we need Dante to be the heavy. Dante's got to come in there and, and hit him with that. Oh, Dante should be the manager. I think is what my <laughs> Twitter seems to feel. <laughs> oh boy. Okay, let's do this then. <laughs> we we've got we've been going on, so thankfully this will hopefully be short. But he, yeah, like, let's do Bo, it. Bo allowed his dad to be a coach. But I'm not sure that Bo would ever allow his dad to be a manager. I mean, like, <laughs> okay, here's the question though. That would, be, that would be crossing. I don't know, like that. See, see, like I can personally relate because my mom taught at my high school, so I kind of know oh. what that's like. <laughs> she wasn't like the principal, though. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> so, imagine that now. Imagine that scenario now, where like you and your mom are side by side in this shot on the Zoom. Like yeah. the, all the kids are watching you sit beside the teacher. Rude. Rude. Well, she was never my teacher, but you're right. She did teach some of my friends. So um, it could have happened. But yeah, like um, it is It is funny that I think someone asked so, um, the other day or a couple weeks ago, like, how did that happen? How did your dad kind of come on full time? He was like, oh, it was my decision. Like it was, they asked me and I said he was okay because everybody liked him. So he was allowed to come. So it's, <laughs> what a baller. <laughs> I mean, but seriously, you would want to add, you know, you can't hire a guy's dad who's your like, no offense to uh, our friend Vlad, who we were just speaking about, but who is your like cornerstone fucking bees. You know, Bring in the other yeah. dad then. Let Vlad senior coach. Who the fuck cares at this point? Into it. How, all you know, consensus building. And, That's really and important. Craig Biggio. <laughs> have Hall of Famers as as your bench coaches. <laughs> Guys who have no reason to be there. They made so much money in their career. <laughs> just like just like taking over. Like you're fucking these kids up. Let us. We got to do this. 
So it's like hockey dad, like hockey parents, just like thinking they can coach better, just bring in all their dads. That that famous video, the guy that walks up and like smashes the glass. Uh, it's that, but it's oh. Vladimir Guerrero Sr. like smashing the <laughs> the glass that's in the the plexiglass that's to prevent the spread of COVID. He's just smashing it, being like, just let him hit, let him swing the bat. Um, would any of those guys be worse than Charlie Montoya? I guess is the question <laughs> that we're supposed to be asking. It depends on what you think Charlie's here to do, I guess, right? You know, the, there's been a renewed focus on winning because Major League Baseball at the last minute decided to give a gift to, to bad teams by opening up, you know, a couple more playoff spots in each league, <laughs> Major League uh, which, Baseball which completely like- changed, sort of, changed the expectations though, right? Like, and it's like, that's not really fair. Like, and nobody would be... You know, we wouldn't. Nobody would like it if the Blue Jays were playing like this in a 162 game season. But you would be like, okay, they're still another year away. That's fine. It happens. But now it's like, fuck, man. All you got to do is beat like some real dog shit teams, and you just get, you know, you get a chance to throw Ryu and Pearson at the Yankees, and and you know, and but, hope uh, you don't have to go to Matt Shoemaker. It is they that is the dog shit team. They <laughs> in- they. <laughs> The <laughs> the Blue Jays are going to come down. The front office is going to show up in the in the clubhouse one day and realize that like the dog shit team has been living in the basement the whole time. They've been they've been they've been stealing food from the from the, from the hamper to feed the dog shit team. He he is not winning himself any fans, which is not necessarily his job. But boy. The decisions that he makes. So I, I'm more of the, the I think there are two camps. There are the like he makes very odd decisions uh, on his own. And then there are those who are like all of the boneheadedness that happens out on the field falls on the manager's lap, um, which mm. could go either way. Right. Who's the hitting Teoscar Hernandez eighth. And then there was the, the lineup snafu. And then there were the, the, the pinch running with Anthony Alford with two outs in the eighth inning for Vladimir Guerrero Jr. And then Alford just stands there and watches as Grichuk strikes out and the inning's over. And now it's like, well, guess, guess we got to put somebody at first base. Like, oh, that was not a, that was not a comfortable moment. It's just, uh, he just seems to really do some perplexing things. And if behind, if behind the scenes everything is great and he is this mentor and teacher that he's supposed to be, awesome. Then maybe more than Boba Shett would be able to hit and pitch right now. But maybe that's, I'm being impatient. I'm being impatient and I'm being a terrible, thoughtless person. But boy, boy, is it easy to root against him at this point. <laughs> the thing is like, what are you going to do in a year like this? Like, I mean, he's going to be the manager for the rest of the season, obviously. And then he's going to be the manager on opening day, 2021. So I, I don't, I understand where fans are coming from and you know, like people are going to be angry, but at the same time, like to your point, why he was brought in was just to quite honestly, like probably be this like bridge type manager um, helping these kids because he's has all this AAA experience um, or just generally minor league experience. Um, and he is fairly patient. And uh, I think that as much as um, the sort of eternal optimism that he has uh, really great on fans, uh, trust me, I know I see your mentions, but uh, <laughs> like maybe – 
it's hard for me to know because I'm not in the clubhouse this year. So you really, I'm not really like seeing how the players are um, after the games. But to be honest, like most of them haven't come um, come out on the Zooms really, really dejected. Like they've been pretty um, even keel about it. And I don't know if that's, I don't know if people like that or not. Like, I don't know if people would rather see them be dejected or something or like really disappointed or, or whether them having an even keel and know that they're, you know, working and this is all part of the process is, is better. Um, I can, I can see people arguing both ways. Like, you know, they'd want more passion and also people think baseball players have to have that kind of even keelness to sort of get through obviously not this season, but a normal season. Um, and so back to my original point, it's just, it's hard for me to see whether that optimism um, is really benefiting the team. It could be like, it could be not beneficial for them to have this guy that is, um, you know, just ripping them left, right and center all the time. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm not, I'm just sort of like talking around the point here. Um, but, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. I don't know what to say. People are probably going to be mad at Charlie Montoyle the rest of this season. But I would tell those people that you're probably going to have to get used to it because I think he's going to be the manager on opening day 2021. What I, what I would say is that, uh, do you remember what people thought of John Gibbons when he had bad teams that they were like, this guy is a fucking buffoon and I hate him. And this is the worst thing. And I can't believe it. And now people are like, oh, I miss Gibby so much. And I, what changed? Oh, right. He had two really good teams. And like John Farrell was like a, just a complete piece of garbage. who couldn't manage a bullpen to save his life. And then he won a world series the year he leaves. And you know, some of this stuff is, uh, just sort of fodder for people to get mad and people love to point fingers and, uh, and, and Charlie is an easy target because, and I know, and I've known this, you know, for cause for years, it's been like, it's, it's early. Like, why are you getting pissed off about this? Uh, people don't like it when you're like, don't be mad about this loss in baseball. Have you ever watched baseball before? There's a shitload of losses for even the good teams. Uh, and that just, that, that grates on people, uh, which is not to say that some of his decisions have not been completely fucking baffling. Uh, but also, obviously, him and the people who've hired him and the people who have been entrusted to like to run the organization and make it better seem to obviously think that, you know, the where where he lacks is less important than where he doesn't lack. And having a guy who's going to keep spirits up for a young team and not let them get dejected and be positive for them. They think that's a plus. Whether that turns out to be a, an actual plus, who's to say? But I, I think it also sort of dovetails with their cultural thing. You know, they want players who would respond to that. And that's that's kind of a thing that they're trying to build. And that's maybe being too generous to them. And it, it certainly doesn't make it any easier to watch weird decisions happen but you know uh, it, 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 i think fundamentally it comes down to the fact that the jays are resigned to the fact that this is going to be the year that they thought 2020 was going to be in february and the fact that baseball has been like whoa guess what 60 game sprint anyone can win also there's more playoff spots and fans are like wow the jays are contenders and they seem to seriously like they just seem to you know, not have that attitude. They don't, they don't want to put that pressure on their young group to be, 
you know, to feel that they have to make the playoffs, to feel that they have to, like, you know, they think that they're capable of it, but, you know, and that's, that's their conception of how to nurture and make these players better for the long term. That's fair. Whether that, that will work out, I don't know. That's fair. But that's, I think, what they think. And, and, you know, maybe, hopefully, presumably, the own goals will stop going in. They'll, that would be nice. That'd be nice. <laughs> and then maybe they do, uh, you know, put another uh, string together like they did at the end of the last season where they're winning as many as they're losing and they look the part. They don't right now. And the fact that the manager, maybe it's a good thing that the manager has got a big giant flashlight pointing at himself to attract and soak up some of the criticism and the negative energy such that it's not pointed at the fact that at some of the other players, That's but, but I, a great I, point, I think. if I know anything about, about negative and like, and like miserable people, it's that they got lots of misery to go around. There's no limit. They have enough for Charlie. They got some extra for Vlad. They got some for Randall Gritchick's contract of all things. They got it for whoever and whatever it can all, it all fits. Atkins and uh, Shapiro gets a piece of that too. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, there's, there's, there's plenty to go around, but <laughs> Speaking of plenty to go around, there's plenty of birds all day this week to go around. We've been uh, chattering at you for too long now. So, of course, I want to say thank you to Caitlin for joining us. Thank you, Caitlin, for us. Always, we appreciate you taking the time. Uh, what can the people read of yours of late? Uh, well, you'll have to wait for Friday when there's a game, and I'll write about it. <laughs> um, <laughs> but stay tuned for more. Um, well, your, I happens. thought your piece was great about the – ridiculous insane wednesday game yeah that must have been uh you know as uh, i i don't write on a deadline often but uh i've seen the tweets when when it's like oh it's eight nothing cool i can pre-write a bunch of stuff (laughs) and then it just all goes completely sideways yeah i mean like those are the types of games where like initially you're like seeing it go bad and you're like, okay, this is about Nate Pearson. And then you see like the defense and you're like, okay, this is actually about the defense. And then you see her <laughs> coming back and you're like, oh, this is actually about a comeback. And then, and then yeah. it, they still lose and you're like, okay, what is this about? Like, you know what I mean? Sometimes <laughs> no, it's it easy crazy. to see what the, the story is. Like you're like, okay, this is what I'm going to go with. And sometimes it's not even like I might see something uh, someone else might write about something different, but like maybe I can hone in on, you know, maybe I really want to write about Jordan Romano, and so he has a great outing. And I mm-hmm. hone in on that aspect of it, or the bullpen was really good, so I, my f- story focuses that. But like this was the type of game where it's like it just changes too dramatically <laughs> inning to inning that you can't even like focus. You just got to be like, what what is even happening here? And that's I just kind of lean into that when that kind of stuff happens. Well, I thought you did a great job. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, so yeah. make sure you read Caitlin. On the athletic, make sure you follow her on Twitter. Make sure you read everything that Stoughton is writing, and follow him on Twitter if you don't already. And then you can read the stuff I write about Vlad, which is apparently negative all the time, uh, judging by my <laughs> own things that I say and do. So for Caitlin, for Stoughton, my name is Drew Ferris Service. We will talk to you next time on Birds All Day. Now,